Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to an extra terrestrial edition of Thrush and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast where a dial-up modem tone definitely sounds better than our voices. And speaking of tone deaf, I'm Aaron, ooh baby, and I'm joined as usual by the metal baking bread welder who's got sesame seeds up the wazoo, at least sesame, what says are you, Evan the metal man, how's it going? <laughs> Yeah, I do. I do. I often get sesame seeds everywhere and I'll come home with like sesame seeds in my pocket. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'll be right. So this is why I don't like beaches. Now, in our ongoing saga of the Australian health star ratings, what do you think a packet of Doritos is rated out of five stars on the health rating? Oh, one and a half. One and a half. Yeah, that's a low score. They are not good for you. A three stars, Evan. I'll get stuff. I will stuff my face with Doritos because they're healthy for me. Thank you very much. Anyways, <laughs> guess what? What? We have another legendary diva in the studio. Tomorrow's yesterday. And whilst I'd love to say this guest needs no introduction, the fact remains this visitor deserves an out of this world introduction. So suit up and strap yourself in because in T minus epic space puns, we'll be joined by an eternal beauty queen who rocketed to stardom with one life to live, during which she decided to Comet Stay on Fantasy Island before dissecting and testing her patients on the doctors and ultimately ushering this universally unequaled umpress unto the unknown when you spied with your little eye this NYC VIP born on the NYE pop-up in MI on TV, which turned into mission immigrational when Diva said hooroo to Hollywood for a huge Aussie g'day as an Australian where this legend has brought her perfect blend to neighbours, blue healers, flipper, offspring, snowy river, embassy, crash zone. And if you think that's a lot, you have only heard a light year or two's worth of titles in which this star has shown stunningly solidified by her stellar starring spot in the seminal sci-fi series' V, where her queen Diana had teenage boys worldwide wishing they'd get dissected by lizard people. But yesterday's tomorrow, she's here to dissect Queen Lizzie and Princess Diana for the chosen musical... So with our phases set to stunned, we send a huge local g'day and a we come in peace, please don't eat me, eat Evan, he has muscles, to this bona fide bombshell, actor, singer, producer, cabaret and recording artist who has hit many Melbourne stages thousands of times in a menagerie of musicals, concerts and performances, plus further stints on screen in The Lost World, Falcon Crest, Jake and the Fat Man and Murder She Baked which solves that mystery. Clearly, it was Mrs. Peacock in the kitchen with the highwayman's Cluedo box because she's an individual, you can't fool her. So whip out your sky trackers as we welcome this truly legendary darling heart to the torture chamber for a bitch popcorn and blood because the devil has my double. But we have an icon, a queen, a supernova because we're very verklempt to welcome the vivacious Vim Fatale from Planet V. It's Her Majesty Jane Badler. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Just me, you're on my show. What? What's happening? Bravo, bravo. That, oh my God. That was the 
best best intro I've ever had. Really? Ever. Really? Ever, ever. I'm sure you've had a lot doing sci-fi conventions over the years and having a lot of nerds introduce you. Nah, that was that was absolutely you got me. I it's hard to get me to laugh, I have to be honest. Yeah. And that got me laughing. Awesome. A a woman after my own heart, someone who is hard to make laugh. Because so am I. Right. Ask Evan, I'm quite humorless. Right. <laughs> Anyways, um, you might notice that on the arcade machine behind Evan is actually the V game. Oh, the V game. Yeah, the uh, the Commodore 64. What? I can be good at this. I can be good at the V game. Absolutely. Uh, firstly, how has your week been? My week's been great. My week's been so good. I started a class yesterday, uh, yep. uh, and that was really fascinating. A memoir, a memoir class, zoomed in from New York. Very interesting. Yes. Ah, so we can look forward to an autobiography. Yes, you can. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. yes. Wow. Now, um, speaking of V, Evan, do you have a question? Because we have a jam-packed show today, so we're going to get you out of the way very quickly. Yeah, yeah. just a, a normal opening question. Do you ever speculate about extraterrestrial life out there somewhere? Oh, God, absolutely, all the time. I go to sleep, you know, pondering it. I wake up in the middle of the night worried about it. In yes. the morning, I, I feel like I have an extraterrestrial next to me in the morning. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's part of my existence, absolutely. Yeah, the big worry is aliens abducting me in the middle of the night. Uh, although looking around, it would probably be better than where we are. Yes, it probably would be. Probably would be. Yeah, well, if you saw that um, NASA was dropping photos yesterday from the uh, the new telescope and there's yeah. like billions of galaxies with billions of suns and billions and billions of planets in there, like surely somewhere there's oh, another, yeah. another, you know, biped. Yeah, oh, yeah. There have to be. There's Kepler-22b, which is a planet they've found within the inhabitable zone. And uh, it's actually used in the TV show Raised by Wolves. Um, but the thing that I have a problem with aliens in movies and TV, this is really random. Whenever I watch something with aliens in it, I'm judging it not on how scary that alien is. I'm judging it based on does this look like a natural life form that evolved on a planet? 99% of the times, no, they don't. They just look like the big scary monster and we're trying to scare you. And so that's what I'm going to start looking for is I know there's lots out there, obviously, but in terms of from now on. Mm. But why do aliens always look like these creatures with huge eyes? They always have these huge eyes that are sort of slanted up. They, they have no hair. They're kind of this kind of being that's bald. You know, they're always kind of look similar, don't they? Yep. And there's a hive mind mentality that there's always one big brain yes. that controls all the minions so the humans can save the day. That's absolute nonsense. Goodness gracious mm. me. <laughs> I kind of agree yeah. with you. I agree. I agree. Yeah, if we can just inject a virus into this mothership, then they'll all go down. You know, it's like yeah. we'll just squish the queen bee and then the hive just disintegrates. A virus? It's a common cold in War of the Worlds. Goodness me. But anyway, speaking of nonsense, we're going to move on to the metal. Do you have any experience with heavy metal, Jane? You know what? It's really weird because I was listening to heavy metal to prepare for the show. And for the first time, I got it more than I think I've ever gotten it. Because when I was younger, I don't think I was an angry young thing, you know, but to me, heavy metal seems about passion and anger and expressing your rage. That's what it felt like when I was listening to it this time. And for some reason, I feel a lot more rage now. So I kind of really enjoyed, enjoyed listening to heavy metal. 
Awesome. Yeah. That's like catharsis. Absolutely. Let's see if no, I know absolutely nothing about all this technical stuff that you talk about, Evan. <laughs> Just a, a quick fun question before I move on to my review. Now, if you could write your dream rock star writer as crazy and over the top as possible, what would be in it? Oh, okay. Well, I would probably have a massage bed. Excellent. Yep, I'm down. And a Theragun. They're like electronic massagers that you can sort of massage your whole body with, right? I definitely would have a fridge filled with uh, kombuchas and all different kind of fabulous drinks. Yep. Um, I'd probably have maybe uh, Justin Bieber, Harry Styles, kind of just kind of hanging around with me before the show. (laughs) Definitely, because I'm so fucking hot for Harry Styles. Yeah, well, luckily he's here in the room with me right now. (laughs) And I think I'd have like amazing wardrobe, you know, all lined up, you know, like Versace and Chanel and Dior, but not like, you know, normal, like high end, like crazy with sequins and feathers. And I'd have fabulous high boots. I'd have the best hairdresser in the world, the best makeup artist in the world. Okay, somebody keep going. Yep, that's okay. it. That's where you need the help of drag queens for that one. Yes, yes. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, that's that's where you don't leave the green room and, you know, never actually get out on stage. Yeah. And, and a great feast, you know, for when I'm hungry at the end of the show where, like, all of my favourite people can descend, you know, when it's over and we can have a party. Yep. Awesome. All your favorite people and Aaron. Anyways, <laughs> I got to move on quickly. I'm going to move on to my review because this week Jane picked the album, which we love it when our guests join in the fun and pick the album. Although we also love it when they don't know the metal and we can introduce them to something thrashy or crazy. So we've done Deep Purple's Shades of Deep Purple. Goodness me. So let's see how we go. When I was first given Deep Purple, I immediately threw up my white flag to surrender. Easy as, bro. I love Hush and and um, that other song they sing. <laughs> what? How are we here again? I've known of Deep Purple forever, but none of these tracks ring a cowbell, except the Overture, which cured my fever, because the only cure was more cowbell. Hush, I can stay silent on, pun nintendo But one more rainy day should be track one. But as the funkadelic opening rhythm kicks in, I found myself kicking back and escaping into my daydreams. Then track by track, apart from one cover, I was transported through the hazy shade of winter across a summery plain of beaches, surface stoners and unwashed hippies. I can smell them from here. And then up into the Milky Way as these master musicians clearly got lost in their own psychedelic flavors. Four and a half stars. I love the song Harsh. I've got it on playlist, but I guess I've just not ever bothered to listen to other Deep Purple. I'm so sorry, Ian Gillen. Please come on my show. (laughs) I emailed you yesterday and invited you, so don't say no. Anyway, so yeah, I really loved this. This is up my alley. This was the psychedelic prog rock that I keep yearning for on this show that Evan keeps giving me the weak stuff or well, not the weak stuff but stuff that just doesn't take us to that stratosphere that that being able to close my eyes and go on that journey that the who and Tommy take me on so Jane why did you pick this album I know you'd mentioned hey Joe which was how we arrived hey Joe what you got with that gun in your hand well actually I um I think it's one of the few heavy metal bands that I recognize the songs I yep. mean they had such huge hits and you know, some heavy metal is, for me, unaccessible. You know, it's so kind of 
angry and big and noisy. Yeah. But, you know, somehow this album doesn't seem, it seems kind of a mesh of a few different styles. It's not just kind of a big angry album. It's very, it's melodic. Yes. And I can really hear the musicianship in it. And the tunes are kind of ones you can hum to. So for me, I don't know, maybe it's nostalgic too, because it's probably more my era. Yeah. Also, these songs didn't all sound the same, which is another problem we have. But even within those songs, there was journeys in them with the music. The the first 30 seconds might be completely different to the the rest of it, which granted does happen in a lot of songs, but here it was just really good and and really enjoyable and took you into that vibe straight away. Yeah. I mean, matter of fact, I played it this morning for my workout and say that that's not something I've done for a very long time, put on this album for a workout. Yeah. Awesome. Actually, it's something we hear a lot. You do? Yeah, listen to metal while they work out in preparation for our show. Really? Yeah. Wow, yes, yes. It's it's the rhythms, I think. So really did like this, and I'm definitely going to be putting it on again, and hopefully we will revisit Deep Purple again when Ian Gillen says yes to my invitation, please. (laughs) Goodness me. Yeah. I was, I was surprised you like this, really. Yeah, I'm pretty picky, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, they did evolve a lot over the years as well. This is, you know, in this, there's still a bunch of long-haired lippy, hippies with A-line flares. Oh, I got that. Yeah. Are they still touring? <laughs> Possibly. That's not something I checked, actually. Oh, I wonder if they're still alive, all of them. Yeah, I didn't see any deaths. Yeah, Ian Gillen is. Um, I know, because I <laughs> contacted him. Please come on our show. No, I re- I really did like this. I just don't know how they've gotten past me. I mean, there may be other songs if you were to, to say they're big hits. They might like "Smoke on the Water." Oh, is that them? Dun, 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 dun. Yes, great one. Yeah, that was like mm, two years later. Oh, really? Yeah, I know that one. What about that? Um, na 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 na. What's that one? That's Hush. Oh, that's Hush, yeah. Which, again, you, you said there was one cover. There's actually three covers on this album. Yeah, Hush Hush is a cover. Hush is a cover. Hey, Joe is a cover. And Help is a cover. Hush was covered by Russell Morris. Ooh, I might even sing oh. that. Yes, please do. Awesome. Um, you hear that, Ian Gillen? Not only come on my show, but allow Jane to cover your song, please. Or actually, no, it wouldn't be. It would be long before them. Yeah, it was covered by Russell Morris in Australia because back then, sort of in the 60s, 50s, a lot of the times a song would be released in America, but it would be immediately covered over here because it was so far away. There wasn't, you know, the internet. There wasn't all that connection and, and satellites. I'm seeing tour dates for July this year. Oh, you're kidding. I'm just trying to check the lineup. That's now. Yeah, in Europe at the moment. Oh, wow. Not Australia. Oh, who knows? Yeah, no, yeah, probably not. No. Don't know. I'm, it's maintenance just being very slow. But, yeah, so they're still touring in some one way or another. There's a lot of uh, great groups coming here this year. There's a lot of good acts coming. Yeah. Especially after the pandemic. Billy Joel. Billy Joel is yeah, still doing shows. I'm I'm not going to see Billy Joel, but he is coming. Oh, I'd yeah. love to. I missed out that um we had Elton John and Billy Joel on the same bill. I would have loved to have gone. Oh, that would have been amazing. And, yeah, and they were playing together as well. Jane was living in Australia by then, by the way. That was in the nineties. Are you a Billy Joel fan, the two of you? I'm a I'm a good music fan. Yeah. 
Good music. I will listen to anything, generally. Prefer metal. Oh, interesting. Well, that's a whole deep philosophical talk right there on why you love heavy metal. I can guess he grew up in a family with about 18 brothers. Ah, okay. <laughs> Three. And he's the youngest of them. Yeah. 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 Youngest of four. And there would be, you know, different, and they're all sort of different eras. You know, one's the sort of 70s, the other's 80s, on the 90s. Mm. And yeah, you would get different genres coming out of each bedroom. You know, it kind of gets forced on you, you know. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. You know, Iron Maiden, Anthrax, Metallica type things. Whereas like Deep Purple, it's not something my parents listen to, this band. They don't really listen to Beatles. They're more like Buddy Holly, Elvis, Connie Francis, Roy Orbison. Oh, wow. How old are your parents? My dad's 81. Ah, uh, that's why. Yeah. That, that was like my dad was listening to Sinatra and Elvis, all that, you know? Yeah, so that's that's where my influences come from, why I love Patsy Cline so much. And so bands like The Who and The Kinks, I came to on my own more so than any influence from my brother or sister or from my parents. So I was like The Stones. They were around Led Zeppelin, yeah. Pink Floyd. That was kind of more like when I was growing up. Yeah. And in honor of today's musical, I've got my Queen shirt on. So we grow up. Oh, Queen. I love Queen. Yeah. It says at the bottom. Yeah. But yeah, so this week we had Deep Purple's 1968 album. So yeah, they formed in 1968. They were originally called Roundabout, which they ended up actually becoming a bit of a roundabout band with members constantly, you know, multiple band member changes hopping on and off the roundabout over the years. But yeah, as I said, in 68, there were a bunch of long-haired hippies. Did you, you see any video like... It's halfway down their back. It's in, in the mid 60s. It's like, get a haircut, you hippies. Yeah, if, if you had asked me which album, I would have chosen Made in Japan, which mm. was uh, 72. Okay, yeah. Which is a, a recording, a live album recording. Um, oh, yeah, but no, I don't want bloody screaming fans, Evan. And this you whole. You wouldn't have accepted it, I know. It's one of the best live album recordings just mm. in general. I'm sure it is. They're, they, they're so incredibly tight live um, and just sitting there jamming for 30 minutes on one song. But yeah, as you, as you mentioned before, the single Hush, which was a cover, was was getting a lot of airplay. Yeah, it, that's that's what really sort of got them going. Uh, it wasn't really Smoke in the Water. They were pretty well established by the time Smoke in the Water came out. They've gone through six lead singers so far. Um, wow. Uh, I, I'm actually a big fan of the David Coverdale era, um, who, of course, we did. It was the lead singer of Whitesnake, Aaron, we did a few weeks ago. Did we? Yeah. Yeah, we did Whitesnake. We did. Uh, who was, yeah, a singer with Deep Purple for a fair amount of time. So why did they go through so many singers? I'm probably going to blame, uh, what's his name, Richie You've Richie Blackmore. I keep forgetting his last name. Richie Blackmore is sort of the main guitarist and, and he's just a genius, but he's you know prone to hissy fits and infighting and people just not getting along in general. And they would just rotate members uh, quite often, really. It's, it's changed a fair bit, but the band would always go wow. on. So it's cool to hear different versions of the same song in the same band sung by so many different people and all their different takes on it. That's very K-pop. I like K-pop. I like BTS. They've all gone solo, haven't they? Yes, yes. Oh. Yes, I was waiting for the stock market to crash mm. when that happened. I was like, they, they're a multi-billion dollar company, mm -hmm. industry, entity. Yeah, that's what K-pop is. It's it's an industry. It's, it's the old Hollywood system. It is. They're about something like 3% of the country's GDP, 5%. Like, they're a big chunk of cash coming into the country, that band. And then they've all gone solo. So yeah, I was waiting wow. for the stock market to go mental. Mm. Wow. I had no idea. <laughs> then again, I was going to send Laura Brannigan an email inviting her on the show. 
She died in 2004. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. <laughs> what <did it> <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, Laura Branigan. How old would she be now? Wouldn't she be in her 60s? Possibly, yeah. She was young, very young. I know, yeah. Because I've been listening to her cover of The Name Game by Shirley Alice. Sad. Oh. And it's just so funky and obviously her Gloria is great. And so I thought she'd be someone fun to invite on the show to be like, hey, where you been? Oh, no. no. But not actually say that because you can't really say that to people, can you? <laughs> and where's she been? Oh, my God, 2004. Well, that would be an interesting question, where have you been? You know, she could. She could come back for a little while and come on your show. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious me. It'll be a special Halloween episode, I think. Anyway, that's very, very poor taste. I love her, her voice. And what a, what a shame. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. It's amazing. I had to bring that up for some reason. <laughs> oh, I was going through the, uh, yeah, the singers. David Coverdale, White Snake, um, Ian Gillian, who you brought up earlier, was uh, Jesus Christ, oh, Jesus Christ superstar. I love that show. Yes, and and the funny enough, I put that in the email saying to chat oh, about Jesus Christ superstar. Love. My very very favorite song is when she Mary sings to Jesus before he's going to die. Yep. You know, and you know, before he gets betrayed, and she says, "Try not to get worried. Try not to hold up." Oh, everything's all right. Yeah, things that will upset you. You know, and I think, oh my God, that's like you know, I I sing that to my husband now. You know, don't you know everything? All right, you know, I've always wanted to play that role. I, I love that show so much. It's just we, we'll get to it with Evan one day. Yeah, no, I haven't listened to it yet. Eventually, if I can get Andrew Lloyd Webber on this show or Ian Gillen, but apparently he wanted to do the film version if the rest of Deep Purple got paid because he would have been taking time off touring so he wanted them to get paid for that time they would miss which Mm. you can kind of understand yes I would have said put them in the film hello Mm. even as background extras whatever um so they said no and they gave the role to Ted Neely or um, whoever it was so yeah well I mean Deep Purple were were massive at the time one of the biggest bands in the world so yeah to to just take time off and go touring in a musical <laughs> hmm. rock and roll lifestyle musical don't know did you see it when it was here about a few years ago with tim minchin he was in it i saw the filmed version oh you oh, saw no, the no. film version yeah. yeah such a tim minchin fan he's excellent he's, he's great so clever i i love it i actually sang with tim minchin before he became huge huge Wow. Where did we sing? He asked me to sing with him. It's, it was a big soiree in Fitzroy yeah. or something. And we oh, sang wow. about snakes or something, evil snakes. He was so adorable. I was so flirting with him. I loved him, you know? <laughs> he was miscast. He should have been Jesus, not Judas. He has a voice of Jesus, mm. not that's a very good point. So that's where I I think I got uh, anything else on Deep Purple? There's Richie Blackmore's classic hissy fit on stage did you watch the footage of that yes always want to know about a hissy fit on stage no i didn't oh you didn't oh okay it's a classic clip um uh the rough idea they're playing this enormous festival in california in 74 and it was in the contract that they didn't want to play until sunset but for some reason the show ran early and they're like uh you know 10 minutes can you guys get on stage and they go no it's the sun's still up not happening you know it's still about an hour away so richie eventually had lots of arguments and Anyway, Richie locked himself in the caravan and refused to come out until the sun was the sun came down. Oh my god! Once they decided it was dark enough, they went out. They were playing their set, and about halfway through the set, Richie starts 
slam, uh, smashing guitars. And I lost count how many guitars were broken. He just keeps getting another one. He then has a go at the film camera because it was being filmed, you know, 1974. Apparently that camera cost about $75,000 to replace. And then they got the bright idea to get a roadie to light up his amps on fire with petrol. Of course, they've used way too much petrol. It's gone up in a huge fireball. <laughs> oh Blown the amp over. <laughs> across the stage uh, um, they've quickly you know put it out but he's the whole band has continued to play oh my god during this they're jamming away <laughs> they've, they've put it out he continued smashing guitars he went and grabbed another one and the band just keeps playing and hits the next song while richie's you know pushing amp boxes off the stage it was just <laughs> mental he's literally pushing them down oh my god when was this what year was this that was 74 could you do that now could you get away with that now oh hell no no. No. And the fans loved it. There was something like 100,000 no. people there at an estimate. It was huge. Because the fans didn't have Twitter back then. That's, no. That's right. That's no, right. No, they were loving it. It was rock and roll. That's it. Ah, uh, Twitter. Twitter. Twitter's been, in, <laughs> Twitter's been in the news a lot lately. We won't go there. No. Yeah. Is that footage all on YouTube? It's all on YouTube. Really good quality because they filmed it. Oh, wow. Um, and okay. they filled the whole festival with, with proper... You know, those enormous TV cameras on trolleys that they had to push around. It's one of those. He's literally smashing a guitar into it. He was pissed off at the um, the management for not putting them on when they say they were going to put them on. Now, Evan, you do a very good job on this show. <laughs> yeah. oh, I should be sending you links. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I spend the last week kind of discovering these things at, you know, two in the morning and, you know, what hours of documentaries. Yeah. When you find, just send them across. As long as it's not a reaction video, so <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, literally, you, you literally Google the guitarist, and it's one of the first results. Of, but yeah, they're all brilliant musicians, each in their own right. I love the oh, keyboardist; he's yeah. incredible. They are. You know, when that, when him and Richie uh, will do like dueling solos, um, the drummer is incredible. His double strokes are so perfect and so quick. Love the drumming. I love all of them. And on stage, they just sound crystal clear and brilliant. It's why they are Deep Purple, and they've just inspired countless bands. Yeah, you know, the, the the music industry wouldn't be the same. See, this might surprise you, but one of my favorite bands is Manfred Mann. So I don't know how I haven't gone from Manfred Mann to Deep Purple because how haven't I? I love <laughs> obviously that Brit pop sound. You know, it's very funny, but during that period, English and Australian bands didn't translate as much in America. No. Of course, Rolling Stones. I mean, I'm not talking about the big ones, but there's a lot of bands that I actually was not aware of when I was younger that maybe the Aussies were aware of and the, I don't know. Like, I never really was that aware of Manfred Mann. I absolutely love them. So, quite a few of their songs. Um, you might know The Mighty Quinn. Oh, God. Come on without, come on with Yes, I know The Mighty Quinn. Yeah. Yes, 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 of course. Awesome. Funnily enough, in my first novel and the third novel, because it's a trilogy, I've misquoted deliberately Manfred Mann, or there's two Manfred Mann references that bookend each other in, in the book, and just my love of music to, to put them in there. So it's just such a random band for me to like. Did you say your third book? Your third book? Yeah, the third one in the you trilogy. Have three books out? Yes. Anyways, it looks like Deep Purple has turned light lavender. We're going to throw it to an ad break. I had nothing. I, I made that before. I completely forgot to write a segue this week. I don't know how I forgot. G'day, listeners. Aaron here. Because Evan and I are stuck in Australia, we thought we'd better send a spy to Broadway to check out the shows for us. So here for today's review is our Broadway spy, Spencer. 
Up next, we have Michael R. Jackson's A Strange Loop, nominated for 11 Tony Awards and a Pulitzer Prize winner, and it deserves it. This show is going to win the Tony Award for Best Musical. It is a 100-minute look into what Michael R. Jackson's life was as a Broadway usher. It is a musical about an usher who is writing a musical about an usher who is writing a musical about an usher and so on and so forth and it has it it is the lead whose name is usher played by jaquel spivey who this is his first role out of college he graduated college last may and this is his first professional role ever and he was just nominated for a tony award which i think is fantastic he stars beautifully and works his butt off in this show and he is accompanied by his six thoughts who play all the other characters in the show and also play his emotions. Notably, L. Morgan Lee, who is one of the thoughts, who is the first transgender actress to be nominated for a Tony Award. It's just a beautiful show with a very sparse but well-done set that just every moment shows you more of Usher's life. Costumes are plain clothes, but done really beautifully. To me, I I didn't think the show was long enough. I would have loved to have an intermission and just hear more of the story. I just wanted it to keep going, and that was amazing for me. I loved this show. It is beautiful to see these stories on stage. Now, whether it's for tourists or purists, I don't think this is a tourist show. I actually, it'll be really interesting to see when it tours to see if it does well. Because it is such a polarizing show about a black queer person, I think that this show is for people who want to see those stories on stage. I don't think it's necessarily for tourists or purists. I think it is for people who love theater and want to see something new in the art of theater. And so that is a strange loop. Anyways, you're listening to Thrash and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by the remarkable Jane Badler, who is, has been for the past 30 years, a little Aussie Badler. I sure have. I find this so fascinating, I really do, and, and you are the first guest who has done the reverse, the moving from Hollywood to live in shitty old Melbourne. No, I love Melbourne, I really do. <laughs> it is my home, but, you know, that sort of Hollywood is the centre of it, and you've done V over the 80s and then Mission Impossible, which obviously had sent you here, uh, which was the, the 90s revival. Are you hoping they give you a call and get you back for the, the film series, throw you out of a helicopter or something, whatever crazy shit they do in that? <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, that was a pretty damn good one, the last one. I don't know if you saw. Oh, no, that wasn't Mission Impossible. That was Top Gun. Sorry. Oh, no, I haven't seen that yet. No, I haven't seen the new Top Gun yet. I haven't seen the old one either. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, God. Oh, it's okay. Oh, Tom Cruise, yeah. Um, yeah. Am I hoping? Yeah, I could play his, uh, what could I play? Am I old enough to be his mother? Not quite old enough to be his mother, but I could be a young mother. A villain. A villain, Jane. Well, I could be like, you know, evil something. You know, one of those evil people, the terrorist organization that they're fighting, you know? I could be like one of those, you know? The, the villains are the fun things to play in the mother. They don't really get to do the fun stunts that... Tom Cruise does. Oh my God, I just finished shooting a film in America where I'll talk about villain. I think this was yeah. the height of my villain tree. Yeah. The height. Are you allowed to tell us what it's called? Well, it's called The Trim Season. Yeah. And I play a witch who um, kind of runs a property. And awesome. I, um, 
I do pretty uh, extraordinary things to young ladies, you know? Yep. I know some of our listeners probably wish they could do that. And I'll cut that joke out up there. That was a totally improvised joke that just did not land. Actually, that was a really good joke. That was one of your funniest ones today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, apparently I am on, on par. I, okay, now I've got a, a random question. This is for something that I'm going to be working on. I'm going to ask all my guests for something random. So for you, can I have a random name that's not based on anyone that's not a pun of anything, just a random name. I've got like three great names, but I'll start with um, Electra. Electra, yeah, with a K or a C? Uh, with a K. Yes. Anyway, so what, what were the other two? Penelope. Penelope. Randall. Randall. Oh, he sounds like a nerd. I like that. Yeah. Awesome. Powerful women and the nerdy boy. Speaking of a nerd with a superwoman because we <laughs> did the unfortunate Diana the Musical, which we had narrowed it down to three choices and we left it up to friend of the show, past guest Adam Richard, to choose for us and he couldn't help himself but pick the campest musical on that list. So this week Evan has dived into Diana the Musical. Yeah. With all due respect to the creatives that created this show. Yeah so, yeah, so this week I had to listen. I was tortured with Diana the Musical. Uh, mus- musical lyrics by David Bryan, the keyboardist from Bon Jovi, book by Don Pietro, who's known for Memphis, uh, for which he won a Tony Award, best book of the musical, best original score. So, you know, they're not no slouches here. Oh, I love the quick changes were just incredible. The set design, again, I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Um David Zinn did it. He won a Tony for SpongeBob uh, doing the sets. The intricate CNC panels um, in the background are just beautiful. Um, See, Aaron, I was talking about CNC routers the other day. That's the kind of things you can make with them is those kind of backdrops. Okay. Yeah. They do this like filigree CNC routed panels and then backlight them and they just look incredible. Yeah, the, the sets were awesome. The ensemble of bloody acrobats, they're mental. They worked double time through the whole thing. Yeah, uh, so yeah, I had to listen to Diana as usual. I, I I listened to it blind, but then of course you mentioned it's on Netflix, and this is weird. This is a a pro shot that existed before the show was staged, yeah. Yeah. which is just uh, backwards, and it's the weirdest pro shot I've ever had to watch. Like it's really odd watching one without an audience. Like, oh no, I love that. I know you love that because you hate audiences. Oh, I love audiences. I just want to hear them. But then when you actually take it away, like there's no laughter at any of the gags, even the ones that did land. They just taped the show. That's it. And put it on Netflix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it opened on Broadway yeah. months later. Because wow. it was doing previews at um, in 2019. COVID hit and they, they had to shut down. So they taped it. But I think the pro shop was going ahead anyway. And so they just went ahead and did it without an audience. Yeah. And it's really odd. It makes it feel really flat. Like there's no feedback. You need that feedback. I was missing it. I was, you could have thrown some canned laughter in there. Gareth Owen did the sound design. Yeah. Well, he should his hit, hit his applause button or something. Cause I don't know. I'm just saying you haven't complimented his work yet, but everyone else is. <laughs> he is a friend of the show. True. Yeah. I, again, I, I grew up with Diana as, as you would have. Well, you know, like the, I, I found that the, where is it? They really failed to convey just how loved Diana was and still is. Like the, 
just remembering the the multiple mountains of flowers that were placed around castles residences all over the country it apparently was estimated as about 10 to 15 tons of bouquets of about 60 million flowers were left yeah um you know when diana passed um which they all gave to the um the children's hospitals and old people's homes and yeah they, all the flowers got sort of given out again thank god because you look at it and you go what are you gonna you can't just bin all that it's oh, just incredible um but yeah I, the issues musically with this like all the songs kind of blend into each other and nothing really stands out um near the end i i, I was getting near the end and i thought to myself like what are you even going to reprise like nothing's standing out here and they ended up reprising pretty pretty girl and whatever love means anyway and and even then i came away sort of just going huh okay yeah lots of elements just didn't work uh this really cringy lyrics you know stuff like better than a guinness better than a wank snatch a few picks it's money in the bank you know feckity feckity fuck you dress but on the cd it's fuck you fuck you dress and uh, why didn't they keep that i know got americans and their fucking censorship america's very puritanical i know but it's ridiculous this is all hypocritical and that actually made the Queen's joke land because she wouldn't say it. Mm. Whereas everyone's going feckity dress and then, well, the Queen could have said that. But, yeah, the two different versions. I wonder if she does. <laughs> I wonder if the Queen swears when she's away from everyone else. Nah, I don't think. We all stub our toes. Maybe she does. Maybe she has a couple of drinks at night and wear words. Wouldn't that be nice? Has a good bitch to the corgis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My main thought was like, if you're going to write a comedy, write a comedy. And if you're going to write a dream sequence, then make it clear that it's a dream sequence. Was there a dream sequence? This is how your people dance. It's about the third track or so. They're on their first date and they're listening to classical music and then all of a sudden she busts out into um i'm gonna make them a rocker or oh okay they bust out into this thing that charles is doing bloody camilla break dancing which is a reference oh. no charles is break dancing which is a reference yeah. there is video of him doing it pretty similarly to it was very awkward white old guy break dancing it wasn't a comedy was it no not intentionally <laughs> Yeah, they did these campy songs and they tried to throw a few jokes in there. But again, without an audience, they just didn't work. Bad idea. Bad idea to make it a musical. It, it is. The writer did explain that sequence later because it got taken out of context on Twitter and just going, look at what they've done to Diana. And he explained later that it was a dream sequence. And I'm re-watching it going, you don't make it clear that it's a dream sequence. Everyone just busts out into, into jitterbugs and going mental. Jitterbugs, oh my God. That's <laughs> not a jitterbug, but you know, they're all, the ensemble's going mental. I just found it was really out of place and it, it reminded me as it was as out of place as March of the Falstettos song in, in such a jarring shift of styles, but at least Falstettos was wacky in general. Mm. Yeah, it fit because the whole thing was wacky. This was kind of serious sometimes. And then, then you have the, the James Hewitt song, shirtless James Hewitt on his horse oh, with the queen and <sighs> like flirting with the queen i don't know what's going on there it was all very cringy Hideous. why did every goddamn line have to rhyme yeah there were some bad ones but yeah I, I went back and i watched um there's a uk documentary called diana in her own words and it feels like they've just watched that documentary and put it on stage <laughs> the pacing was the same choosing what parts of diana's life to include lined up all the way through from that documentary to the musical it was like watching a documentary of the musical because i watched it after i watched the musical. that's very generous yeah 
I was just sitting there going, yeah, I feel like they would just watch this and put it to song. I mean, it was taking something that actually was quite deep and made it so shallow. And, you know, I have such a problem. There's a musical comedy voice. You know, that's just the way it is. There's a, that, the girl who played Diana had that musical comedy voice, that perfect musical comedy voice that was void of personality. It was like the most perfection sound. You knew she'd studied for years to get that sound. Yeah. But it, it just had no kind of, like to me, I like something that's imperfect. I like something that's a little more grungy. To me, these musical comedy voices are so perfect. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. That was just my, because I saw Pamela Anderson in Chicago when I was in New York. Oh, oh my God. What? I'm always saying. Oh my God. <laughs> I am so jealous. I know. Can't sing. Can't really dance. I don't care. And guess what? Do not take your eyes off of her. Because she is a star. A star. She is a star. She a is star. wonderful. I love really is Pamela something. Anderson and I will stand by it. But not so talented, but yet a star. If that makes sense. You know? Yeah, like I don't need these Kardashians and these quote unquote influencers. We have Pammy. Sorry. <laughs> as soon as you said that, it clicked. Anyway, go back to Diana. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Goodness me. I need to calm down. <laughs> Once again, I'm not really a fan of the music. Like I said, there was nothing that really stood out too much. Often, even if you don't like a musical, I can hear a big moment and go, holy shit, she can sing. They didn't give her one because I know she can sing. Oh, she can sing. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, summing up, I love the sets. The sets are incredible. They're really clever. There's a lot of cleverness going on. The costumes are spot on, apart from maybe the comical-looking paparazzi in their trench coats. That was a bit much. Snap, click, snap, click. They look like flashes. I just went, nah. Yeah, the ensemble need ensemble awards. They're acrobats. Yeah, so I like the, again, I like the show more than the music. Mm. Oh, wow, okay. A couple of weeks ago was the opposite. It was the opposite, yeah. It's happening a lot kind of musical you like i mean you guys might like you know there's the straight musicals the rogers and hammerstein and sounds like diana i didn't see it but it sounds like yeah. a pretty straight musical you know not a lot of mm. edge to it mm. you know, a lot of the musicals that are coming you know like hamilton was where they kind of mess it up mess up the whole idea of what is a musical you know with it all being rap i mean i think for me i find it much more interesting to go see a musical that does kind of mess up the elements a little bit you know yeah yeah i think that's why i loved rent so much oh amazing amazing yeah. Because it was just that in your face, throw convention out the window. This, I think it was trying to be a Vita, Mm. but there's a a difference here is that Eva Peron was so long ago, whereas Diana was so fresh in our memories for one thing, but they're not the same person. They might have a similar kind of trajectory to get where they got, but, and they tried to paint, I thought, Diana as being ambitious which I didn't like, not because I'm, oh my God, Diana, but I just thought that was quite rude. You're already doing a musical of her, but they're just doing a Vita. They're just taking these elements from a Vita because they portrayed Eva Peron as ambitious. And you don't watch that and feel coldness from her. You're on her journey because Andrew Lloyd Webber's music and Tim Rice's lyrics are so amazing, freaking amazing. 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 Vita is one of the best. This was not a Vita. Also, <laughs> to rhyme staffs and photographs. Staffs is not a freaking word. It's staff. So you could have said the palace staff beyond each photograph. Also not words. A ninja's 
sheeps and Legos. <laughs> and nobody gets casted in a movie. They were cast. All right, people were on the same page. Also on the cast, I feel they weren't playing these well-known figures. They seem to be playing British people with kind of familiar hair. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. These are some of the most familiar figures in the world which I make very, very clear, this is the fault of the creatives. They haven't given these characters or these actors any of these proper key moments or any sort of diving into their psyche or anything for these actors to sink their teeth into, to inhabit these characters. And so it's just a familiar hairstyle. And that Queen song, I'm sorry, but that's just Billy Elliot's grandma reliving her youth and her wild days. They've just ripped that straight out of Billy Elliot. And then with all the upper class society and their chorus, that's just straight out of Evita again. Also, no John Travolta. What? That moment was iconic when she danced with John Travolta in that dress. Yes, yes. That black dress oh, with the cut off at the shoulders. Oh. That, that, why would you leave that out? Yeah, well, they did the ballet instead. Yep, yeah, no, we want the iconic moment. No, we don't care about this ballet thing. Well, we do. I mean, she loved ballet. She had done ballets for years. She did. That was iconic. Which is why I found how to make your people dance so jarring and out of place because it's like she she loved ballet. Like mm. I don't I don't get the uh, you know going to the discotheque type vibe from Diana. Um, also, how it ended was so strange. If you're going to portray this accident, why are you telling us in narration for one thing? Because that's how the documentary did it. The way Evita ends is so unsettling. And mm. if I remember correctly, because I saw the 2019 revival, which was the original production. So it was how it was originally done that they toured Australia with and around the world. If I remember correctly, that ended with cannons going off. Or it just ended with like a loud bang. It was, was really unsettling the way it ended. Was it Cannons? Was it that that ended with Cannons? It was something, I don't know. I can't remember, but either way, it left you unsettling. So Tina Rina played it. Yeah, although I didn't get to see her. She was unbelievable. Was unbelievable. She? Well, Gemma Ricks was absolutely amazing in the, in the part. Yeah, so how it ends, it sort of just ends with them going, the person you think will change the world is not the person you think will change the world. And then they walk forward all dramatically and stop and it's a blackout. What the fuck? This is Princess <laughs> Diana for crying out loud. Show some respect. Oh, oh yeah. terrible. Give us an ending. Mm. But it was just so goddamn serious. Like, and, and it was like they had suddenly poles shoved up their asses and they all moved forward and they just yeah. walked towards yeah. the camera like, no drama. And I'm just, no. I laughed. Should have ended it on the legacy and all the flowers and all the tears. Yes. Mm. You would have had to have children, but you could have recreated the uh, the shot of the um, Harry and uh, walking behind the yes. the coffin down yeah. down the road. You yeah. know, even without the coffin, just them yeah. walking solemnly. Just that, like Elton John singing that song. You know, I mean, he oh, would candle in the wind. He would yeah. be there, obviously, but that could be the kind of the soundtrack at the end, you know? I mean, there shouldn't be a dry eye in the house. Everyone should be crying by the end. Yes. Mm. We shouldn't be laughing. We shouldn't be feeling like no. this is all. And the strange thing is, like, I know a lot of Americans who loved this show. 
oh. and they saw it three, four, five times while it was on Broadway. And there's such a disconnect between how the Americans view this musical and how people from Commonwealth countries happen to yeah. see this musical of we're going, what? And they're going, oh, it's fun and campy. And again, we're talking about a real person who was so goddamn beloved by people. This wasn't a Kim Kardashian deal. This wasn't just having 3 million followers and she releases a lipstick and everyone loves her. Like she walked through fucking minefields, people. She was our princess, damn it. That's right. She was. And she was this victim in this Mm. whirlwind of a royal family. They could have played that up a little bit more. If you're going to lean into a Vita, lean into a Vita. That starts off with them walking across and and kissing her coffin. We start off with her dead body. She just wanted love. She was never loved by Charles. Never. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And she's certainly not loved by this musical, I tell you that. It's (laughs) so sad. Americans are so funny. I go to Broadway shows all the time and they do standing ovations for everything. Every single musical, it could be the piece of shit and they're all standing and doing ovations. I'm like, what is it with Americans, you know? Yes, I can cross that question off my list, Jane, because I ask every guest. I know, it's like crazy. Oh, my God. It's crazy. It really, really is. And and the thing is now that there will be, sadly, people who, maybe not many, but will see this musical and think this is Diana. This is her story. And That's right. It's not. They've tried to make something scandalous and edgy, and my mum got halfway through it and fell asleep because she says it was monotone. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a bad sign. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it's really not her type of music, but we're not, you know, big royalists or anything like that. I mean, I love the Queen. I think she's fabulous sitting there in her throne and her corgis and, and all that. But it is a bit of a travesty what they've done over the years. So, But I have respect as much as I have criticism for them. I don't think, though, that they deserved this musical in any way. But Diana surpasses, you know, royalist. I mean, she was like a Marilyn Monroe figure. I mean, you know, I mean, there was something extraordinary about her that's living on. Yeah. You know? I don't think a Kate, you know, as fabulous as Kate is, she does, there's just maybe it was her tragic death. Yeah. It was all the tragedy that happened to her. Um, but it was also her altruism. And like you said, walking through minefields, going to orphanages. She was like a Mother Teresa figure yeah. because of her own pain and trauma. And now we just cannot let her rest in peace. Yeah, it's true. You know, I sort of think like they kind of portrayed it in this musical that she was in this whirlwind and she was lost and drowning in it. But she didn't live in peace. But you look around and there's TV movies and documentaries and a musical and this about her and that about her. It's just like, guys, it's just out of all the people we could be talking about, there are so many. But just let this one person, this one angel rest in peace because I think she earned that, right? But we don't give it to her. I agree. agree. And I don't know why. And she would be the only person I would say that about, really. I wouldn't. I don't think I would say it about anyone else, really. Like, not even Hitler. Like, I don't think we should stop talking about him because we should be well and truly aware of what he did. And we should be aware of what Diana did, but we should be doing that respectfully and stop exploiting it. Anyway, sorry. I'm fired up now. Boy, that was a good little rant. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. I quite often get into it. And our guests don't often say that was a good rant. They're kind of sitting there going, what's he doing right now? And it it goes on the point that I remember hearing that, you know, someone was making Diana the musical and immediately you go, God, no. And then second, 
you accept it, they're going to do it anyway. And you go, okay, don't mess it up. Yeah. And they didn't, they didn't mess it up, but they, there's a lot they didn't get right. Their intentions were wrong. Mm. They're in, well, they're, okay, if their intentions were right, because, yeah, sure, do a musical about her, but do the right musical about her. Do a point in time. Yeah, well, at least Charles did come off like a, a massive dick, so that's, you know, that's a yeah. tick. But did we need the thriller in Manila with Camilla? Who wrote those <laughs> lyrics? Please come on my show so I can roast you. Oh, that's funny. There's some bad ones in there. Oh, it's it's just terrible. It's a clicky pen. I'm not allowed to hold clicky pens during these recordings. What was that series about the Queen when they did that whole episode about um, about Diana? The Crown? Yes, The Crown. That was so good. The mm. whole thing about Diana. That was good. And Camila was, they made her very sexy, you know? I thought, yeah, she was sassy and sexy. Like, you thought, oh, I could see why you'd like Camila. Not like the real Camila at all. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not the Camila I remember. No, not at all. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, I, I thought they gave her such a predominant part in this show. Well, because she did have a predominant part in her life. She was always hanging around, like right from before they met. But secretive, you know, the secret mistress. Yeah, but here she was front and centre a lot of the times. Well, yeah, I mean, it is reported. She she would go on a lot of the dates. She'd go to the races with them. She'd go to the concerts That's with them. True. She was just, she would go and stay in the same manners where they were staying, guests of castles and stuff. Buddy, Camilla's there constantly. Um, they did make a point of it in the musical, and it's accurate. And she'd ride the same prince as Diana. Oh, that's terrible. That's right. Oh, very, very well. Touche, <laughs> touche. Because I keep forgetting, I'm going to give the I'm going to give the stage show itself like a three and a half, and the music about a two. Oh, oh, okay, sure. I think that's fair. That sounds like a good assessment. <laughs> yeah, I do love the sets. The sets are fantastic. I'd love to pick the brains of the people who who put those together. Would you give it a score, Jane? Yeah. So I'd probably say similar to what you said. I mean, honestly, I don't like to trash things. But I, I, from the lyrics that I heard, definitely a two on those lyrics. Yeah. yeah. I, look, I, I feel that same way that, especially being an artist, that it's a tightrope on this show. Again, out of all the people in the world, I think this is one circumstance where I do feel comfortable saying it just did not work. Mm. And I don't think there's any circumstance where this show in this format, with this context, could work anywhere. Some shows will have a life 20 years later. I don't think this one will. Hopefully not. Oh, no. But if it does, it's for the wrong reason, which is why people had seen it so many times. Yeah, sometimes terrible things can have a life because they're so camp. People go, oh, that was so funny. You know, that sort of thing. And they're so Again, the problem is this one, didn't, it didn't go all the way camp. You could have oh, done that. It could have been you, worse. You could have done a parody and we <laughs> would have probably loved it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, God. If they had directly parodied Evita, but then again, we are talking about Princess Diana here, but let's just say it was somebody else, Kim Kardashian, and they did a deliberate parody of Evita with this music in this style. It probably would work because it is so absurd what you're doing that it all would fit. Whereas to have someone like Princess Diana in that spot with everything else going around it, I don't think that worked. And again, it was they were just wigs. They, they were just they were just moving wigs on stage to me. I didn't oh see any God. moving wigs. That's bad. 
the costumes, they were not iconic. Again, they didn't have that dress, that shoulder dress that yes. she danced with John Travolta in, and therefore not. the wedding dress was not Diana. That was not Diana's wedding dress. They were probably the most accurate costumes out of the whole show were her dresses. They they recreated most of her wardrobe quite quite faithfully. But what about her wardrobe before she married? Her taste. I mean, let's be honest. Now she used to dress like in those really strange clothes. And then she got more and more as she was princess. She became this incredible, like Jackie Onassis, yeah. this incredible style icon, you know? Now she'll forever be a musical icon. Oh, mm, the poor no, please. The poor dear. No. Oh, goodness me. We are so sorry, Diana. Again, sorry to the creatives, but you kind of asked for that one. Please come on my show so we can roast you to your faces. Glad oh, I didn't invest in that musical. Yeah, tell me about it. Did you think people did? People actually did invest in this, and I don't know why. Uh, but anyways, it looks like I'm not at all going to pun this musical. We'll be back <laughs> after this ad break. G'day, listeners. Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, You'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep, as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I, I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened. Everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching. And then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime. But it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows, as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins. 
but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony, and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Anyway, so listening to Thrash and Treasure, I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by the oh. amazing... Oh, we're, we're joined by a puppy as well. We are joined by Jane Badler and Puppy Dog. How cute that dog is. That is gorgeous. Isn't oh. she cute? She's she. What's her name? Belle from Beauty and the Beast. That's my dog's <laughs> name too. Oh, no, that's insane. <laughs> yes. What? I can't believe it. <laughs> she wears a sequin collar because I'm obsessed with sequins. Oh, beautiful. I've got a border collie. She's about eight months old. Oh, my God. I love dogs. Oh, I know. That's gorgeous. What breed is she? She's a little cavoodle. She's, oh, Belle. Very bad, very bad manners. Oh. Puzzle to the rest of us. She was the runt of the litter, so she's like a little, little, a little one. Oh, adorable. Okay, so I've just got some questions about your hopes and dreams for the future. Oh, my hopes and dreams. Oh, hang on. What is that? That's like a Buddha. What's going on here? What the hell? Hello. Puppy, is that me or you? Guess what, Jane? What? We have a surprise diva in the studio today, so I hope you recognise him. Otherwise, shit. Because this affable artiste attracted attention when he composed it, flipped it, and reversed it to create the musical Nora, which is backwards Aaron. Hey, that's my job. Before stepping forward to be my musical director when I stole those tarts, sorry, scantily clad pastries, which led this wonder kid to the enormous task of founding a claimed but closed theatre company, Magnormous, which motivated my magnanimous mate to marinate Melbourne by mining the mountains for marvellous musicals of the rare kind by producing and or directing and or working on Saturday night. So with a hats off to you, Nile Blue, we say g'day and namaste because it takes Dutch courage to turn water into wine like that bunch of ratbags, Archie and Mahita Bell from the beauty spot where love equals Flora the Red Menace. Though, ask Mary Bryant about the thing about men, and she'll say, life's a circus, even if the title of show is a triptych or two, but not three, 
that makes my eye twitch as I welcome to the torture chamber an incredible personal hero and friend who showed me what's possible before giving it all up to teach yoga and that makes my eye twitch harder <laughs> so today we're here to show him what he's missing out on and him to personally thank the icon who helped Magnormous get off the ground because he's a writer composer singer yogi producer director and always the other Aaron because he's the better Aaron he's also <laughs> the also Mr. Aaron Joyner Oh my God, Aaron! <laughs> Hello, Jane. How are you? You just have that Buddha there. <laughs> How are Can't you? Can we see you? We can't see you, Aaron. Oh, uh, hang on. Have I got not my camera on? Oh, no. Which is probably a good thing because we got the surprise reaction. Aaron, my favorite musical theater person. <laughs> Hello, Aaron. See, we've been, we've been trying to get together, and now we finally got together. I know, right? We finally did. You wouldn't believe this, Jane, but Aaron and I have known each other for about 24, 25 years. Yes. We worked together a long time ago, and then a few times over the years, so it was actually quite easy at 4 a.m., when I decided, oh, this will be a good idea to write Aaron an introduction, and so I've had eight hours to write that, learn that, and sleep. Uh, yeah. That was like reliving my life. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and you know what? I did your body of work in order. Amazing. In that whole sentence. Wow. So when, when you read it back, it actually does kind of make sense. <laughs> Aaron, we miss you in the musical theatre yes. realm. You should come back. Thank you. Oh, look, I miss you all too. I, I've got to find a way to blend yoga and musical theatre together. I would have thought that would be pretty easy to do. You know, the choreography already writes itself. That's true. Yeah. I'm a yoga girl too. You are. Yes, yeah, indeed. I do lots of yoga. I love yoga. It saved me. I honestly think... If it hadn't have been for yoga, goodness, I, I, I probably would have been good for me to be teaching yoga while I was doing Magnormous. It would have helped some of the stress release. Oh, I don't know, <laughs> man. You were so overworked back then. I do remember that. Honestly, I don't know how. I look back and go, I don't know where that energy came from. Um, I don't have it anymore. <laughs> nor do I, nor do I. Jane, you're incredible. You're still, I can't believe all the output of work that you're still putting out and you've got energy for days. Don't you talk? Goodness. Not really. I like being at home and just chilling now, you know? I hear. Well, that's why I teach mostly from home. Um, I've got my own little online yoga studio, so I love that. I hardly have to leave the house. I'm actually at a centre at the, uh, today because uh, I do a bit of a mix, but uh, I agree. And look at your gorgeous home there too. I, why would you want to leave? Well, I mean, I was telling the guys I did a film last year in America and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Night shoots all yeah. night in the freezing cold Utah, in the mountains, away from my husband oh. for months, in the middle of COVID. And I thought, to, and then quarantining when I got back. Yeah. I thought, why? Why am I torturing myself, you know? But was it fun overall, though? Did you enjoy being there? You know what? I think overall I'm very, very proud of my work. And it's almost like people that climb Everest. You feel like you need to kind of... Yeah destroy yourself sometimes in order to enjoy your life i don't know why that is but that's how we all feel you know yeah. yeah it's so good to see your face jane i know and i have a really nice filter on my zoom so people oh, you look good you always do anyway that's you all never age. <laughs> you are a timeless beauty that's why absolutely oh, thank you. you went out for miss america miss america you are our first beauty queen on this show hey do you still have your crown from winning miss new hampshire 
here is my crown. It's upstairs. I, I would have put it on otherwise. Look, I have to show you. This is my photo of me at 18, my portrait that was taken. Oh, oh look wow. at you. This is the Miss New Hampshire portrait. <laughs> wow. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? You haven't changed a bit. No. <laughs> Thank you, Darren, but I have changed a little bit. <laughs> Thank you. Just to separate us, you can be Aaron, I'll be bitch. Okay. So if anyone says bitch, I'm immediately <laughs> going to go, yeah, you rang. Were you allowed to say bitch on the show? Oh, yeah, we've sworn already enough. If our guests don't swear, we don't swear naturally because we kind of feel like that's, you know, they don't swear. So let's not ruin their episode. Yeah, I try not to. Yeah. Now, okay, I've just got a few questions. Well, I've got now, Jane, what has been your most embarrassing moment with a fan? This is the most embarrassing thing that has ever, ever happened to me. It was at the airport. Yeah. And there were fans outside, right? In the airport. Yeah. Um, like waiting because I'd arrived in Argentina. I was going to do one of those big monster con things and there were some fans waiting and I had to go to the bathroom like really badly. So I went into one of those handicapped bathrooms, right? And what I didn't realize was that the door opens. With upper time. Oh, no. And I was sitting on the (laughs) toilet and the door opened and the fans were sitting outside. (laughs) (laughs) (gasps) That was probably seriously one of the worst things that's ever, not ever happened to me, but that was pretty damn embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) If you try to keep a certain mysteriousness, like you're not a person who even goes to the bathroom. (laughs) That's it. It's that elusiveness that... Oh, goodness. But that, that is wonderful. I think I'm going to have to ask more guests that question. Slightly more serious one now. You left Hollywood at quite a, as I said before, like this peak of your career that and you just suddenly just left. But it was also in the industry. This was a time of high concept. There was a lot of sleaze. Harvey Weinstein was coming up in the ranks, obviously. As a woman, did moving here away from all that help you keep your confidence, do you think? And possibly stress levels intact than what it might have been if you had been staying amongst it all. No, I think I was in my 30s and I was looking for stability. Yeah. You know, that was the thing. Like for me, that was that had become more important than my Hollywood career, which was absolutely insane. Yeah. You know, there was a degree of um, kind of, I don't know, I can't explain it. It just was causing a lot of anxiety. The, the uh, you know, trying to make it in Hollywood is, even though I was doing very, very well, it was a tough time. I mean, I was there in the end, probably the late 80s, early, you know, when I moved here was 91. And I fell in love, you know, I fell in madly in love with an Aussie. And so ah. my head was turned. I was completely turned. I didn't even think about the ramifications of leaving career, family, like my life, you know, I just came. You know, one of those impulsive things. Here I am. I'm in love with you. I'm going to start a family. And I had babies like immediately. And it was like, (laughs) like I I didn't put much thought into it. I just kind of went with it. Thank goodness you did on behalf Mm. of Australia. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron. You're Australia's asset now. Yeah, we we do claim everyone's Australia. If you ever lived in Australia at any point, we'll just call you Australian. Yeah. It's been quite a journey, I can say. Wow. 
Well, you've had such a massive impact on the industry here. I mean, not just the fact that you're an incredible performer. You're so amazing with producing, with networking, with helping people. You've helped so many people. And honestly, I've uh, even not just saying this because you're here in front of me. I regularly say that Magnormous could never have survived was it not for your your support. Um, and, oh, geez, and thanks, even... Aaron. I'm sitting right here. <laughs> Sorry, kidding. <laughs> but it was the it was even just the the emotional support you know the talking to you the the conversations that we had that you could see where it was that I was trying to go and you really helped to get there and I could not have lasted as long as I, I did and I wish that I could have kept going in some ways but goodness me as you you know probably better than anyone um, what yeah. I was going through and and the the challenges and the stress and we we make everything look so beautiful and fun and friendly for the audience and for the front of house but there's as producers we know there's just so much going on back back of house so the fact that you've you've stuck with that and you've helped so many projects not just theatre but stage and screen and and writing and art you're you're just such a an important part of the the machinery that is Australian industry so I want to thank you for personal personally for my support you've given me but on behalf of Australia um, we're so grateful that you're here thank you so much well you know i think it's a hard it's very hard here in australia it's a hard industry Mm. it's the cottage industry we like to think that you know we have all these great people that go overseas Mm -hmm. but really if if you stay in australia it's a small industry and it's very difficult yeah it's very difficult to get support for a lot of the things in the arts I just I love the fact that I uh, I fell in love with the TV show Cluedo as a t- yes. as a t- and that was my favorite ever and so when I wow. got to first meet you Jane everyone else was like oh it's the lady from V I'm like I don't know what no. that show is but she's Mrs Peacock <laughs> yes that was <laughs> I said something about it to to Jane the other day and she turned to her and goes that was a classic moment in Aussie TV oh. what? it was not a polite comment I'm like what are you talking about Jane I loved it. I personally loved it. I mean, it could have been better. I, I think yeah. it, could, it could have been so good, but they kind of did not give credit to an audience and they didn't think through the clues. Yeah. They were not thought through, yeah. you know? And I was pregnant with my first child when I did it and I was just wow. in a bloody house, you know? And they were shooting me from here up and all I could see was this big chubby face. <laughs> well, I'm fitting Mrs. Peacock very well, you know. <laughs> oh, that's why you're always holding laundry baskets for a big <laughs> stack of books. Yes. That makes sense now. Um, you know, I, I really did love that. And I know, obviously, in America, they've revived it. Well, not revived it. The one we had in Australia was based on the British game show or scripted game show, which is a great idea. Do more of mm. that. I want to yeah. see more creative art stuff. I want to see less friggin' Real Housewives or wherever. I don't care. You know, uh, in America, they did an actual scripted drama show of it, like a horror thriller type thing, I think. Yeah, I think they did. But no, bring it back to that. Bring it back to that fun camp comedy. It was like almost like seeing a musical every week it really, or a theatre show every week. So They should redo a better version, you know? Agree. Yeah. That's it. But they won't. They, oh, look, I look what Channel 7 has on air at the moment. There is one scripted show on Channel 7. Really? One. Home and Away. Mm. One. Yeah. Well, I don't really watch a lot of Aussie television. I'm mean, I hate to say, mm. but yeah, I'm not yeah. saying there isn't really good. People said there's some good shows on right now. I don't know. I'm... Oh, if you like cooking shows, building shows, competition, mm. yeah. uh, just 
yeah it was border a border security. force and yeah. border security and it just uh better homes and gardens and it just goes on and on lifestyle lifestyle shows constantly yeah although i do like better homes and gardens and better. i do love rupaul's drag race which brings me to my next question for both oh. of you what would be your drag queen names awkwardly i have come up with so many but none of them are coming to my mind. I keep on randomly coming up with one. I have a friend that I SMS and go, here's my new drag name. But I actually can't think of what any of them are right now. <laughs> isn't it, it's like funny, isn't it? Like I'd want something like, you know, like the Scarlet Woman or something. Oh, yes. Like I'd want to be like really naughty and like that in real life people think I'm such a nice person, but I would not want to be that. I would want to be like sassy, naughty, like into a all sorts of wicked things on the stage. My drag. So you should have played Miss Scarlet, not Miss Peacock. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? But I mean, that would be kind of fun to do a drag queen like that. Do you know, like sexually yeah. not? You know. Yeah. You don't see that too much. I mean, lately they do a lot of comedic drag queens. Don't they? Meaning, mm. I went to the most amazing drag show when I was in LA recently. Amazing yeah. drag show. Who did you see perform? Because they're all like worldwide celebrities. It's all kind of group finalists at a place called Mickey's. Oh, yeah, yeah. Morgan McMichael was the host. Who's a oh, good wow. Friend. Please come on my show. Amazing. He was, he's a friend of mine, and, and there were a lot of celebrities in the audience, and he wanted me to he – he played one of my songs called Black Silk Stockings, which is like a very kind of – what can I say? It's a perfect song for drag queens to dance to, right? It's like all spoken word about Black Silk Stockings. You know, that sort of thing. Okay. So they, they all danced to that. It was really great. It was it was fun. I love drag. I think it's fantastic. It's very creative, you know? Yeah, me too. Okay, now, so what was a piece of early advice that you were given that ended up being wrong? Hmm. I can only think of great advice that was given that was right from my mother, you know? Oh, she yep. said, you're so pretty, Jane. You, being an actress is a dime a dozen. You should be a lawyer. And now I think I wished I had been a lawyer. She was great. (laughs) Lawyers are performers anyway. They're all acting. No, but like I would have had like with my career now, I really could have made a difference being a lawyer. Do you know what I mean? Anyways, but what was an advice that proved wrong? Hmm, that's hard. That's a hard one, isn't it, Aaron? It is. I had lots of it at the start yeah. of Magnormous. I had a lot of advice that ended up being wrong, um, especially when it was things like don't support Australian musicals, don't do anything like that. But you were the one that was actually the advice that was good. So That's because you were doing a great job. You were, you were doing a great job. Thank you. Underappreciated, you know, how great you were. Thank you. When I was a kid, Aaron, you probably gave me some advice that ended up being wrong. <laughs> it was that long no i'm kidding it was that long ago <laughs> who can remember because I, I was like 12 you were and you were only young too you're only like 19 or something i was i started very young um which is probably why you know i, I sort of retired quite young too so now uh, after the pandemic i've started to have a few moments of hmm, maybe i do miss all of that and it's it's good because i've still got plenty of time if i decide to <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should. You probably in your prime now. That's right. Now I'm the age that I was supposed to be back then. <laughs> exactly. I was too young. <laughs> too young. You were like a young Wonderbun. What's that word? <laughs> Wonderkid. Yeah. Um, yeah Wonderkid. <laughs> Wonderbun's fine as well. 
Wonderful. When I worked out that Jane had done Magnormous or worked with you in Magnormous, I nearly leapt in the air and said, yes, I can convince him to come back. <laughs> yeah, only for Jane, see? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as you said Jane, I was like, I'm in. I'll be there. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so much work. That was, that, was, that was hard. That was a very hard musical, you know? It was. But it was you hard. and Matt Heathering together, fantastic. I loved him. I thought he was yeah. so sexy. I always fall in love with my co-stars, you know? <laughs> yeah, look, Jane, I fall in love with anybody who looks me in the eye. So that's why I don't look anyone in the eye. <laughs> uh, I, I have no idea how I get through any of it. But anyways, okay, so a question for you both. If you could have a group of frequent collaborators or fellow actors to work with, sort of like your own brat pack, anyone from all the time, who would you love to frequently collaborate with? That For me, it's a tough question because I always find it depends on the text that you're working at. Um, and I love the audition process to be able to see who is going to best fit the puzzle. And I don't always like to go into any show with a preconceived cast, although that has happened. In fact, I remember I actually invited Jane to play Mahida Bell because she was the perfect person for it. Uh, and she said yes, luckily. Um, someone like a Laura Fitzpatrick, I know I could basically put into any, any slot and she'd fill it. But mostly it's it, it's about the audition. So I don't know if I would necessarily want to make sure that I was just with the same group of actors. I like the idea of of some change and, and finding who's best for the, the particular roles. Making actors jump through hoops. Yes, I love that. <laughs> In a good way. I think a, I yes, was... of course. I'm, I always took auditions very seriously in that I, I knew it was a gift of the, from the, the actors were giving you their time. And because I was a performer myself beforehand, I knew how difficult the audition process was. So I always wanted to make sure it didn't feel like you were jumping through hoops, that we, you were there to, to hopefully um, do just what was needed. But respect the time and the process. It's gone crazy now. I, I, I've, from what I can hear, everything's about tapes and doing multiple pages of dialogue and it sounds like it's gone out of hand and there's no respect for the performers anymore in the audition process, which is very sad. No. Yeah. Uh, just one thing, uh, Archie and Mahita Bell is actually known as Shinbone Alley. Originally on Broadway, it was it was as, um, released as Shinbone Alley when Eartha Kitt played the role. And then it was, it's been reconstructed now. Now it's, it's back to its uh, original source material yeah. with the Don Marquis novel, uh, Archie Mahitabel. Yeah, awesome. Now, Jane, who would be in your brat pack? You know, I, there was a time in my life when, like, it was uh, it, so much I wanted this intensity, this experience of intensity, yeah. you know? And um, I kind of feel like if I was, you know, I'm much more particular now about what I'm going to do because I know that everything you do takes everything out of you, 100% out of you. So as far as who I'd want to work with, I think I'd want to work with people that were creative collaborators who are um, really exciting and uh, really have ha had a lot of experience working with actors and performers. Um, I mean, I would love to work with an actor like Adam Driver, you know, if I was just being doing my kind of wish list or Steve Sottenberg, you know, as a director, you know, those kind of slightly offbeat, very creative. I'd love to work with, even though I hear he's a kind of a bit of a beast and a little bit chauvinistic. Oh, and I have heard some other things about him, actually. So I'm going to change my mind on that. You know, we can, yep. <laughs> we can cut thing, anything out that you need us to. I could get libel. I could get sued. But yep. I just had like, you know, someone who hung out with him recently. No, no, no. Jane, I will get sued because it's my <laughs> show and I'm the producer. 
That's right. And I'm the easy target. So. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I think I'd like to, you know, work at Red Stitch again, which is kind of that mm. small theater. But I did a yep. hander there, and it was one of the best experiences I ever had because they're even though they're a small theater, the level of and the quality of the theater they do is on such an incredibly high level. Yeah, I don't know like to work with Aaron again we'll have to make that happen I, I presume you mean the other Aaron this time you that's okay yeah. I'm a nobody anyways but um yeah that's it. I've come to the end of my questions but we did have a little fun game that we put together which was actually supposed to be the decoy to give us time to get Aaron into the room to then surprise you for it so what we've done is because obviously during V Diana ate a rat just ate a rat didn't cook it or marinate it or anything. So Evan and I have come up with our own recipes, our own three-course meals that this is how Diana could have eaten that rat that didn't make us go ill. That's funny. Um, I, I did it on the idea that it's like a, a cheesy lunch bar that have like silly names for their sandwiches. Okay, um, cool. You know, um, so yeah, for Andre's, you'll have the Roland rat roll, which would be the baked sausage roll. You surely have heard of Roland Rat. Well, you're kind of just putting a rat into a sausage roll. Into a sausage roll. roll. That's, that's, that's why it's that's a Roland cheating. Rat. That's I said specifically, don't do that, but okay, go on. Oh, well, then, and then for mains, you got, you've got the Tom and Jerry, which is just a, a prime cat steak and rat chips. Mm. Um, steak and chips, you know, you're in a lunch bar. And, um, yeah, for dessert, you've got the Speedy Gonzalez ice cream, uh, which is um, with spicy salt and caramel rat pieces and a cream of guinea pig sauce. Yeah. That sounds good. And the gallant effort. My entree is rat ear curls filled with pureed pig's feet, eggplant, and basil drizzled with shredded rat whiskers. Oh, sorry, you're a vegetarian, aren't you, Aaron? Yes. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We were supposed to have done it before you come in. That's right. It didn't work out like that. This is hypothetical. Okay, my main dish is called Rat King. Lightly flame-grilled whole rat, tails removed and left to soak overnight in pepper honey, then roasted on a bed of shredded garlic, whole asparagus, cherry tomatoes and diced bacon. Separately, pan-fry the tail in extra virgin olive oil, then serve the roast in two halves with the garlic bed gravy and the tail sprinkled on top. Oh, God. Involved. You must be a chef. That was very involved. No, I'm very fussy with food. I'm like, my idea of a romantic date is KFC. Let's just say that. Take me to McDonald's. It's not a date. (laughs) Dessert, rat eye poppets. Four rat eyes boiled, then injected with lime and passion fruit, which I've written passionate fruit. Why did I write? Oh, my God. Um, With passion fruit custard before being frozen for one hour. So the outside is frozen, but not the inside. So you crack open the outside. You serve with cherry cream. Oh, that's funny. Oh, gosh. There you go, Jane. Your next dinner party. The menu <laughs> I, love, I love the absurdity of it. It's so absurd that it's hysterically funny. Oh, I'm glad it landed there because it could have gone the other way. I just—I see the look on Aaron's face right now. He's mortified. Right, on, I'll just eat the side salad. <laughs> side salad. But anyway, so that was the end. That was so much fun. I can't tell you how much fun I had, guys. You made me laugh. 
and I needed a good laugh. So thank you. Good. <laughs> and we gave you a, a good surprise. Or hopefully it was a good surprise. Otherwise, Aaron's going to feel really bad about himself. So I love Aaron. Thank you. Love you too, Jane. Couldn't believe it. I'm so glad. So glad you said yes to both of you to, to coming on and to Aaron to help me pull off this strange surprise. And hopefully in the future, we can do more for people. You managed to catch me in perfect window. Yeah. Didn't even get time to talk about how iconic the series V was, how much I loved it, and how disappointed I was for the remake getting cancelled. I was really getting into that. I was watching it week to week. It was good. Well, you know, they, they brought me back on that. And, uh, Just to kill you off. It was very what? frustrating, that entire thing. They kept me in that dungeon. They didn't bring me because it was very, they didn't want me to have too much power. You know, it was like, I should have had power. I should have been fighting my. Yeah. Power. Yeah. These days you could get on Twitter and complain, and the fans will back you up. I agree. Awesome. Uh, where can people find you on the social medias? Well, I'm Jane Badler on Twitter, Jane Badler World on Instagram, and, uh, Facebook is, I'm not on that much, but Jane Badler. Jane Badler, Jane Badler, Jane Badler. I don't do the Twitter. Um, that's one thing. You are I, on there, though. I, I think I am. I think I've done like three tweets. Uh, so, And that's been over the course of what? I, I've still got my name as the handle. I managed to be the first one. So I've never never deleted that because I know that that's a bit like a, an asset, but I just don't ever use it. Uh, mostly my branding is through my my new yoga branding, Pop Yoga, P-O-P-Y-O-G-A. So you can find me on the, the socials uh, under that brand. And you'll know it if you see a little orange man sitting cross-legged with headphones on. That's that's me. I'm you up right now, Aaron. Woohoo! Is it called Pop Yoga because when I do it, I pop a rib? <laughs> no, that's okay. not yoga. You you got to make sure nothing pops out. No, it's pop yoga because I I choreograph yoga to pop music, uh, so it is extremely theatrical still. So I'm you might take the boy out of theater, but you can't take the theater out of the boy, unfortunately. That's great. Hello, I'm doing this show now, aren't I? Now you can verify this, Aaron. That when I was 12 years old, was I not still walking and juggling and doing all that jazz? <laughs> you were. As a 12-year-old kid, like, what the hell was mm-hmm. wrong with these adults letting me do that three metres up in the air? But anyways, I always talk about this stuff, but there's never anyone to verify. That's the safest time to do it. If you fall when you're 12, nothing's going to yeah. break. It's when you're 80, you don't get on stilts for the three yeah, metres. So, well, even when you're 37, I wouldn't get That's on right. now. But anyways, to you guys at home, you take care, and we shall see you next time. Hooroo! Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for having us. It's been absolutely... Oh, my God.